It was a time that many were living the American dream. Many people would consider it to be the golden age of this country. The country was booming. Babies were booming. Growth and technology were booming. I'm speaking of the 1950s. It was a time in which the churches of Christ were known as the fastest growing religious group in the nation. Many look back on the 50s as being a great time for a variety of reasons. The national pastime was baseball. And this time of year in the 50s, many eyes focused on New York. Because New York had not just one great baseball player playing center field, Willie Mays. Not just two playing center field in New York, Mickey Mantle but three players. The third one's name was Duke Snyder. All three of them were regular all-stars and all three of them are in the Hall of Fame. You may not recognize all those names, perhaps not any if you're especially young, but for people that are baseball buffs, you are talking about a very special time. Duke Snyder was hired by a glass company that had tested glass to make glass shatterproof. And Duke Snyder was a big fella with a powerful swing. And he was to do a television commercial for them, television pretty new in those days, in which he would swing his bat and not be able to shatter the glass. There was the technology and the skill and the science. They had tested it using a, a big iron ball and letting it hit it, and, and, and the glass didn't break. But when the time came for Duke Snyder to take his bat and to swing it at this shatterproof glass... He splintered it into thousands of pieces. And the dreams of that glass company were shattered too. But they went back to the drawing board. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again, you know? And the first time since Duke Snyder was being paid, he felt kind of bad about shattering it. And it... They're paying me for this endorsement, so he kind of half-heartedly swung. And he broke the glass again. It would eventually go on to inspire the company to really make an outstanding shatterproof glass product. But their dreams were shattered that day. Have your dreams ever been shattered? You had such high hopes, such big dreams, and sometimes you say to yourself, is this really what my life is going to be like? Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. 
Because you see, as far as Joseph is concerned, it might well be true that his dreams are all shattered. When you look at the book of Genesis, more space is allotted to the life of Joseph, Genesis chapters 37 through 50, than is allotted to the creation, the the fall, the flood, and to the Tower of Babel, Genesis chapters 1 through 11. So God must be intending to get some kind of special message across through the life of Joseph that we really need to understand and that we need to appreciate ourselves. And by Genesis chapter 37, you might jot down these words if you put notes in your Bible. Shattered dreams. Because as we look at the 36 verses that make up this chapter, Joseph had some reason to think his own dreams were in the process of being shattered. But God has something to say in this chapter and throughout the rest of the book of Genesis. As we look at Genesis 37, I'd like to make two observations. The first observation concerns the family of Joseph. Consider the family of Joseph. The second observation has to do with this. Consider the God of Joseph. One thing I frequently ask you to do in your study of God's Word is ask yourself the question, what does this passage say about man and his relationship with God? And what does this passage say about God Himself? I think the answers to both of these questions are fascinating when you consider Genesis 37 and shattered dreams. Let's observe first now the family of Joseph. Friends, you think you've got family problems. Joseph's family put the fun in dysfunction. They really did. Look at six sins that characterizes the family of Joseph from Genesis chapter 37. Sin number one, hatred, Genesis 37, 1 through 4. As a matter of fact, if you look at the first eight verses of Genesis 37, no less than three times does the passage specifically, explicitly say that Joseph's brothers hated him. They hated him. Part of the reason is given in verses 30, uh, chapter 37, 1 through 4, he gave an unfavorable report concerning his brethren to their father, Jacob. Part of the reason is seen in those verses because of the great love and favoritism that Jacob shows to Joseph in giving him what we call the coat of many colors. But now look, if you will, at a second problem, a second sin. Envy and jealousy. Genesis chapter 37, 5 through 11. 
Before I look at these verses a little more by way of survey, think about these opening four verses and understand that pride stirs up, hatred stirs up division. Proverbs 10 and verse 12. Hatred in a home will cause division, strife. It certainly does in the house of Jacob, where Joseph was a son. 1 John 3.15, he that hates his brother is a murderer. Keep that passage in mind, too, as we work together through this chapter. Now, when we look at verses 5 through 11, the word to remember is jealousy or envy. Because here are two dreams that Joseph has. Being young and rather naive, he tells it to his brothers, verses 5 through 8, where we are all stalks and I have your stalks bowing down before the stalk that represents me. Needless to say, that's a great way to start conflict in a family. Verses 9 through 11, a second dream where the sun and the moon and stars are depicted. And the idea is that Jacob himself will find himself bowing before Joseph. And the passage has Jacob rebuking Joseph. And it's a strong word. It's the same word found in the New Testament when the Lord says, Peace be still. He rebukes the storm. So Jacob is rebuking his young son, who's 17 at this time, and he's got the idea that not only are his brothers going to bow down before him one day, he's had this dream, and he's had another one, his own father will. And he's rebuked for it. But notice the idea there that his brothers were jealous They were jealous because of their father's favoritism, giving him this coat. They were jealous because of the perceived arrogance of of Joseph saying that you're going to bow down, and not just you, but our father Jacob too. But the passage goes on to say that even while Jacob rebuked him, he also considered what Joseph had said. It kind of stuck in his mind. And it's sort of like Mary when she heard she was going to have Jesus. She pondered these things in her heart. Well, Jacob pondered these things in his heart, wondering what it would mean. Look at verses 12 through 17. In Genesis 37, and if you would, the word to remember is violence. If you are an inquisitive person like I am, the question I ask is why? Why are the sons of Jacob tending sheep 50 miles away at Shechem? Why? Why would Jacob send Joseph to see about them? Surely, as a father, he had some idea about the attitude of his other sons toward the golden child, the favored son. 
And if he didn't, he was incredibly naive. To understand what is taking place, this is 50 miles away, Shechem is. But when you look at verses 12 through 17, you need to also remember the closing verses of Genesis chapter 34. Some of the men of Shechem had done a terrible evil to the sister of these brothers. And Levi and Simeon made it a point to kill most of the men of Shechem. Those are two brothers, two brothers of Joseph. The word to remember in verses 12 through 17 is the word violence. And Genesis 34 would say they took the women and they took the children and they took all the flocks and they just kind of made it their own. So they may have been going back to Shechem where a lot of people had died and they were looking at what they had gotten from killing nearly all the men of Shechem. Here's Joseph, a young guy, sent to see about his brothers yet again. Now look at verses 18 through 24. 18 through 24. What happens is this, in 12 through 17, he gets, he gets to Shechem from Hebron, and he's looking in the field, and he can't find his brothers and a man says, who are you looking for? And Joseph tells them. Now, if you are a resident of Shechem, you reckon you're really glad to see a son of Jacob come after two sons of Jacob had been instrumental in killing most of the men of that town? This particular individual, however, says, I heard that they were going to Dothan, which is about another ten miles away. Here's Joseph, not knowing where his brothers were. And an individual that he happens upon just by way of chance says, I heard that they were going to Dothan, and that's where he finds them. Evidently, Joseph is wearing that coat. I was asked to preach on the subject of Joseph's coat by one of the dear sisters here. Well, here's what I want you to know. Joseph's coat is secondary. <laughs> in Genesis 37. But it does tell us a lot about what's going on. First of all, the coat. And the idea is that it's like a long flowing royal robe. It would have gone, it would have had sleeves when a lot of coats didn't at that time. And it went all the way down to his hands. And it would have gone all the way down to his feet. And the idea is that it's kind of a royal robe, it seems. One might understand why the brothers would have been somewhat upset. Were all this not according to God's purposes? When you look now at 18 through 24, they see Joseph coming, his brothers do, while he's afar off. Here's the word I want you to remember. Scheming. 
Joseph came from a family full of hatred, full of jealousy and envy. It was for envy that Jesus was delivered up. Matthew 27, 18, envy is the rottenness of the bones. Proverbs 14 and verse 30, envy and jealousy, people who practice these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Violent people were in his family, abusive. And then scheming people. They see Joseph coming wearing that coat and their immediate response is, Oh, here comes Joseph with news from dad. No, their immediate response is, Let's kill him. After all, 50, 60 miles away from home, Means, motive, and opportunity. Why not? And Reuben says, let's don't do that. Because it's wrong to take a life. Reuben is the oldest of the brothers. Let's throw him in this pit and just leave him there. Let's throw him in this cistern, this well, and just leave him there. Wicked schemes and wicked plans. Look at verses 25 through 27. Now, here's what they'd have done. They probably would have just forcibly removed that coat off of Joseph, don't you think? I don't imagine it's gentle, do you? Because that was a symbol of their bitterness. Yes, Jacob gave it to Joseph out of great love, but it became a symbol of great hatred to his family. And at the end of this chapter, it would become a symbol of great deception. Great love, great hatred, great deception. So they just get that off of Joseph. They throw him into the pit. And then notice... That some merchants, some Midian merchants were making their way on. And Judah has the bright idea. Why don't we just sell him into slavery? We may as well make a few bucks off of this. What's interesting is this, y'all. Here's another sin that we will see. When you look at verses 25 through 27... Joseph is in the pit. Don't you imagine Steve Mills that he's calling out, Simeon, Levi. He's calling out to her brothers, help me. He can't get out of the pit. And you know what they're doing? They're having a picnic. Break out the McDonald's drive through and let's all enjoy our Big Mac and fries. That's exactly what they're doing in this section. And what I'd like for you to see is their indifference, the sin of indifference. They could care less about Joseph's blabbering sighs and cries for help. Pass the ketchup, please. 
indifference. And you know, the Bible says, the heart is deceptive above all things. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. And they are so hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, Hebrews 3, 12 through 19, that they do not even lift up a finger to help a brother that they have thrown into a pit. But we can make a few dollars off of him, a few shekels. So let's sell him. And for 20 shekels, Joseph is sold. And he will eventually make his way to Egypt. Now here's how the chapter ends. Look at verses 28 through 35. Deception. They take the coat given by Jacob to Joseph. And they dip it in goat's blood. Did Jacob know anything about scheming himself? Remember how he got the birthright and everything? If you go back and really read things, the sins of the father are visited upon the children too, it seems. They take the coat, dip it in goat's blood... And they don't do this personally, it seems. They send message to their dad. And they let him draw the conclusions as he looks at this tattered and torn coat of many colors that he had given to the son that he loves so much. And he draws the conclusion. He must have been slain by a wild animal. He must have been killed by a wild animal. Going to look for his brothers. Jacob is heartbroken. How heartbroken? People that know what it's like to grieve can understand exactly what Jacob is is going through. He says, until the day I go down into Sheol, until the day I die myself, I'm going to grieve for this, my beloved son, Joseph. You know... And the other sons of Jacob are willing to let him live with that grief and heartache for years. Now, let me ask you this. If you've ever been hurt or betrayed or abused by those nearest and dearest to you, you begin to understand something of what Joseph was going through. Observations about God. Observations about God. Let me make three. First of all, you can read all 36 verses of Genesis 37 and you will not find the name of God specifically mentioned. That does not mean he is absent. Observation number one about God. When we see the people of God we begin to appreciate the grace of God. 
I suspect nearly all of us have someone in our family that is royally messed up. Amen? And maybe there are several that are vying for the top position there. When you see the people of God, you begin to appreciate the grace of God. Brother Lynn Mayfield, get your Bible, if you would, and turn to Titus chapter 3 and read verses 3 through 7 for us. Titus 3, 3 through 7. You might want to turn in your Bible to the passage, but listen. When you see the people of God, who are the people of God? Deceptive people, scheming people, indifferent people, hateful people, jealous and envious people. You begin to see something of the grace of God. Titus 3, 3 through 7. Brother Lynn, if you would. Whoa! Doesn't this sound like it is the characteristics of the family of Jacob? Keep reading, brother, and here's where it really comes off the page. When you see the people of God, you begin to appreciate the grace of God because we must be honest enough to say that's not just the family of Jacob, that some of those very qualities and characteristics existed in my life and existed in the lives of everyone who makes up the church. But God's people have found grace and forgiveness and a better way to live. The riches of His grace make the difference. Ephesians 1.7 Everything that Adam was talking about in the Lord's Supper meditation, what he did in going to the cross makes the difference in how we are motivated as His people. Number two. Observation number two. When we question the presence of God, we begin to see evidence of the promise, of the providence, rather, of God. When we question the presence of God in our lives, we begin to see evidence of the providence of God. Let me show you what I mean. Have you ever felt that you were really going through something in your life and you wondered, God, where are you? I'm really hurting and I need you. Where are you? And sometimes as we go through these times, it seems as if God is, is not as close as He has been. And it's hard. Am I the only one that's experienced that? Do you think that Joseph might have had that thought go through his mind? That his own brothers would do this to him? Look in the text. 
in verses 12 through 17, we see God's providence in a man from the area of Shechem finding Joseph wandering in the field looking for his brothers. And he sends him without doing him any harm whatsoever to Dothan where he will find his brothers. Look at verses 18 through 24 when Reuben suggests, let's don't kill him, that wouldn't be right. Let's, let's put him in this pit here. And the text goes on to say that Reuben wanted to come back and rescue Joseph and present him before his father. That's what the text says. Now here's what I want you to think about, Thomas, because I bet it didn't enter your brain. Not you're not a good thinker. Even out here in West Texas, a lot of pits and a lot of wells and a lot of cisterns got some water. They throw him into one that doesn't. You know what I would call that? I would call that providential if I were Joseph. Because he couldn't get out, but he could have drowned if there were eight or ten feet of water in that, couldn't he? Easily. And think about the providence of God as they were thinking about what in the world are we going to do with Joseph? We won't kill him. And the Midianite merchants just happen to come by. And they think selling him into slavery will get us a few extra shekels, and it'll take care of our problem once and for all, I guess. But one has to ask oneself, I wonder if God had a hand in that behind the scenes? Because those merchants would take him to Egypt, and it is there that Joseph would rise through the ranks to become one of the great leaders of that powerful nation. That brings me to a third observation. When we trust the purpose of God, we will always have reason to praise. When we trust the purpose of God, we will always have reason to praise. God works all things after the counsel of His will. Ephesians 1 and verse 11. The Bible says that God who began a good work in us is able to complete it. Philippians 1 verses 5 and 6. That we know all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are the called according to His purpose. Romans 8, 28. Yes, but Joseph didn't know any of that. And the passages that I just referred to have not been given yet. But I believe that Joseph learned to trust in the purpose of God and to find reason to praise Him. You and I have much more reason than Joseph initially did. He just believed in God's promises. The promise that was made to Abraham and to Isaac and to his father Jacob. Genesis 12 Verses 2 and 3. 
Now, you can go toward the end of Genesis. And you know what? If we don't get this, these, these messages, we are missing what the life of Joseph is really all about. Fast forward to about Genesis 50 when Joseph says to his brothers, You meant this for evil. God meant this for fill in the blank, please. That's exactly right. Genesis 50 and verse 20. So Joseph had learned to trust in the purpose of God and by so doing, he could look back over those 25 years or so that he'd been separated from his family and thought dead by his father. And all of it has worked out so that now when they are hungry, they come to me for food because of the position I'm in. How great is the purpose of Almighty God? How great is His purpose? I want to say to you as we close this lesson, Jeff Scott, there may be times that you will go through in your life that you feel like you're in the pit, man. Hopefully there won't be any water in that well. And you'll be able to see God's providence even in the pits of your life. And Devin, sometimes you're going to feel like you're enslaved because that's exactly what happened to Joseph. He is Potiphar's slave when he gets to Egypt. Circumstances may seem the pits and they may seem like they enslave us, but they may all be part of a grander, greater purpose of God. Let us wisely praise His name and trust Him. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement. Friends, if you're not a Christian, I wonder if in God's good providence you are not here today to hear about this man Joseph's life and to understand that so much of Genesis is revolving around his life and how God worked in his life. Maybe he's working in circumstances in your life so that you will believe and repent, confess the sweet name of Jesus as the Son of God, and have your sins washed away. You see, a life that is lived in sin is a life that's in the pit. You're drowning and without hope. Ephesians 2, 11 through 12, apart from Jesus. A person outside of Jesus is enslaved to sin. But in Christ, we are free. John 8, 31 through 36. Please come to the one whose gracious provision makes salvation possible as you look to him. And for those of us who are Christians, sometimes those that are nearest to us hurt us. Amen. It's painful. 
how we need to look beyond our family to our Father. And learn what Joseph learned in Genesis 37. Let us stand and sing.